Jesus our Joshua. This is part two. Sunday night was part one. And if you can, if you haven't heard the message and you want to just catch up, then go ahead and listen to our, our audio podcast on, online. Jesus our Joshua. So I'm going to go to, we're going to look at two, two scriptures this morning. We're going, to go back, we're going to go between the New Testament and Old Testament. Sound good? Yeah. So if you, if you have fingers and a physical page Bible... Do we use paper anymore? Do we use paper Bibles anymore? <laughs> Old school, right? <laughs> you can. Uh, and so I want to welcome our our friends um, Rose and Hao Chin, right, from China. So Rose sent me an email from China. Rose is from our church in China. We have, I think, a hundred churches in China. I think, right? Like about a hundred churches in China. And um, if you're just in Evergrace and you only see this. Then I think you're missing 99.9.9.9. Wait a minute, too many points. Wait a minute. 99.999 of, of what we're all about. So we have these conferences, we have these exciting events that we do so that we can get to know the, the global body of Christ. And uh, we're going to have one of them coming up, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But my brother's been in China. I've been in China four times, uh, three times, and then once the Chinese border, but didn't get in. And uh, so, but I was on the other side of China, the western side, which is the Muslim side. I didn't know. I don't know if you guys knew that there was an Islamic side of China, which is uh, the Xinjiang province. And so, I just want to talk to the teenagers and the young people, and especially the the Sunday school teachers and the teen the teen leaders, because they they just really need this message. <laughs> well, you're kidding. In the states, we have to say I'm joking because if we don't, then everybody gets offended, right? But not here. Okay. A lot of people, a lot of people today, are living in the wilderness in their minds. When it comes to grappling with the new year um, before us, I think it's a form of control that we default to to try to deal with the unknown year before us. Okay, and so what we do, especially me, is we compensate with calendars, resolutions, and new gym memberships. I was at the gym the other day, and it was just packed with new people signing up. Just hilarious, you know. And this is how we compensate for the unknown. We, we don't know what's before us. And for some reason, we think that only the new begins January 1st, but the new begins every morning. The, his mercies are new every morning. There's a new year every morning. And so there's just three things I want to just mention this morning. And I, the first thing I want to mention, and um, uh, I think these are just really important because I think that we experience levels of slavery that are just not God's will. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1. So turn to Joshua chapter 1 and then keep your finger there and then turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to go back and forth just for a couple minutes between those verses. Three things I just want to talk about today. Why, do we, why don't we experience freedom? Why, do, why are we experiencing this slavery in the land that God has called us to rule? Number two, Jesus is our Joshua. And then number three, what's our focus on 2019? What is our focus? On 29, what should our focus be? I just want to talk about these three things. Joshua chapter 1, and after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. And let's just pray before we preach here. Lord, we just ask you to bless these words. We thank you, God, for just the liberty of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you still change lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Joshua said, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, 
My servant Moses is dead. Therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into a land that I'm giving to them. Who? Giving to who? Them, right? That I'm giving to them to the people of Israel. Now, at this time, there's a few things that are going on. Let me paint the picture a little bit. There is Jordan, but it's not just Jordan. It's overflowing right now. This is the time. The time that the Israelites show up at Jordan, it's overflowing. And the waters are flowing so fast. They're coming down from the mountains in the north. And it's moving so fast. There's just, there's all this rubble. There's this trash. There's all these trees that have been uprooted on the way down. It's a mess. It's like you got large objects moving at very fast rapids down. And it's swollen. This is the worst time of year to cross the Jordan. Isn't God's timing great? <laughs> just love how God works. And so Moses here is dead. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And if you heard uh, Sunday night's message, it's amazing because we look at Joshua as like this mighty guy, right? Like this amazing guy that is just ready to take on everything, right? And I was looking on Google for some good pictures, and I, I like graphics. I think we have Amber do this in the future. But all the pictures of Joshua are like these cartoon pictures of this guy with a, you know, the thing on his head. I think Joshua was just a really a regular guy. He struggled with fear. Why do we know that? Because at least, I counted at least eight to ten times, God, Moses, are speaking to Joshua saying the same words. Be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. And when God says be strong, it's not us trying to be strong. God is saying be strong and we are strong. Because when God speaks, we are strengthened. Amen? That's what the book of Psalms says. I think it's chapter 68 where it says, verse 11, correct me if I'm wrong, but it says that God speaks strength. When God speaks to you, his word, when he's giving you promises, when he's telling you things like we heard in James chapter 1 this morning, God's not asking your flesh to obey God. God is, asked, God is speaking to the new man. He's speaking to who you are in Christ. He's not saying, uh, Austin, do this in the energy of your flesh. No, God is speaking to the new Austin, the new creation. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Amen? We can say amen a little bit here. Amen. Get a little bit. I know. Some of you have some Pentecostal backgrounds. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I like to, it'd be great to hear a little bit from you. Moses, my servant, is dead. What did Moses represent? What did he represent in the Bible? Come on, guys. This is, we're not a mega church. You can talk a little bit. The law, right? When Moses died in Deuteronomy chapter 31, I've been digesting this the last three weeks, and this has been amazing. Moses was, how old was he when he died? Hundred and if you answer this correct, I'll give you a free cup of coffee after church. One hundred and twenty years old. All right, you get a free cup of purified coffee. Hundred and twenty years old. And what kind of condition was he in when he died? What? His eyes were not dim. His energy was not abated. It says in one tra- abated energy. I don't know. If, I don't even know what that word abated means. Unabated energy. What is that? So the law finds this amazing representative, a man that just cannot, he just does not degrade. And this was the perfect example of the representative of the law. The law comes into Moses, but what could Moses not do? He could not do what? He could not go into the promised land. Why? Why is that? Because the law was given by Moses in a very real sense. He was really the perfect representative. So he died. Where did Moses, where did Moses die? Deuteronomy 31, in a, in a place called what? Beth Peor, right? Beth Peor, which, which is a lonely valley uh, on the other side of the Jordan. 
And he's there, he's on the mountain, he's looking at the promised land. And I just want to say here for 2019, the land that you and I are looking at through the promises of God in 2019, your calling, what you're called to do in the body of Christ like this. And by the way, I just want to say, I was saying this to my wife the other day, we need to double our team. There's just so much work to do here in spring. I'm amazed that I'm amazed at how much ministry there is to minister to people, gospel ministry. Yesterday we were up in the woodland, the farmer's market, and I'm just amazed. There's just people wandering around and just like they just need to be told the love of Christ. I mean, there's a guy that was playing the guitar, like, you know, and you know, people need to hear Christ. They don't and this is the most simple thing, but I think it's what many church, many of us churches miss, the simple gospel ministry of preaching Christ. Here's Moses and dying in a lonely lonely valley and he can only look at the promised land when you and i look at the promised land today we're not looking at it through the eyes of moses through the law because the law can't perform why can't the law perform because it's weak in the flesh it's weak in the flesh so what does god do he raises up a joshua does moses bring the people out no moses can only bring them out but he can't bring them in the law can't the law can't bring you into the promises of god we can grow in the we can grow in the mind of christ we need to know what God is saying in the Old Testament, but the law, do this, don't do that, do this, and get this idea that, hey, I've, I've checked all the boxes off of my Christianity, and I should be qualified to go into the promised land. But that doesn't work. A lot of times, who are the people going into the promised land? The people that have never, never qualified. That's why you're going to see not many mighty, not many noble, not many famous, not many gifted people that are being used by God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's amazing. It's a really amazing thing. God cannot use strong people. God cannot use people that are strong in themselves. I was reading somewhere recently that when we pray, there is this sense of great weakness. But that doesn't matter because we are not the ones that are to, to work out the prayer. It is God who is working it out. We are praying to the great one who does work it out. I just want to say that if you serve, if you minister, if you pray, if you speak, if you lead your family and it feels like you're doing it in weakness, don't worry about it because it's God who accomplishes it. And so Paul repeatedly affirms that the law is holy, right? And righteous, okay? We know that. And good. He insists that he delighted in it after the inward man. But he tells us that he finds another law. Paul's like saying this in Romans chapter 7. He says, the more I try to do the right thing that I know is right to do, all the doctrine that I've received over the years, the more I try to do that, the more the evil is present in me. Isn't that weird? Like, the more I try, like, I know I'm supposed to do this. I know it's supposed to happen this way. But the more I try to do it, there's this growing sense of rebellion inside, this growing sense of angst, this growing sense of, of anxiety and inability. And why is that? Because the law tells us what to do, but doesn't give us any way to do it. <clears throat> Moses can't go into the promised land. There's no way that you and I are going to experience all that God has for us in 2019 if we're trying to do it in the energy of our flesh, doing what we think is right, whatever other people should be doing right, God raises up a Joshua. God raises up a Joshua. And this is what F.B. Myers said. He said this, The law of God can never bring the soul of man into the land of promise, not because of any defect in the law, but because of human infirmity and sin. This is the second point I want to say, is Jesus is our Joshua. Jesus is our Joshua. And you know, Chris stole a little bit of my thunder this morning, a lot of my thunder this morning, or lightning or whatever you call it, which is fine. We're on the same. I, I, I asked him to speak like an hour before the service or something like that. And it's just a great unity that we have here. He just gets up and just kind of speaks really on the same thing that was really on my heart. 
Joshua. Let's look at verse 3 in chapter 1 of Joshua. And every soul, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Who did God give the land that was under the sole of the foot? Who was God giving that to? Who? Who is it said here? Who is God speaking to? Joshua. So I want to make a point here. Okay? Every place the sole of your foot I will, that you tread on, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. God is speaking to Joshua here. And this is important to remember because I think that when we look at Joshua, Joshua is not a type of the all-achieving, all-powerful, conquering believer. Now, before you get angry at me, just listen to me. But a type of Christ who has fulfilled the law, and we are to rest in Joshua, our Jesus is conquering. So when in Joshua 1, 9, we see this, we see this all the time. God has given you the land. Take the land. Every place you step your foot on is your land. Okay, that's right. But really, who is God speaking to? He's speaking to Joshua. Why am I making this a point? Because if we go into 2019 with a sense of that I'm going to conquer, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to stand my ground, I'm going to make this happen. And this is, a, this, is a, this is another version of the flesh trying to uh, work out the promise of God. God is speaking to Joshua. And who is Joshua here? Well, Joshua in the Septuagint, Septuagint is the, is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The word Joshua, the name Joshua, is the same name that we read in the Greek language for who? Jesus. So if I'm a Greek believer, or if I'm a Hebrew that only speaks Greek uh, because I'm not living in Israel during the time of the Roman Empire, and I get a hold of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and I'm reading the book of Joshua. What am I reading? I'm reading that Jesus is leading the people of Israel into, into the promised land. I'm reading the word Jesus. And this is the way the new, this is the way we as believers need to read. When we see the word Joshua, we need to replace it with the word Jesus and say, Jesus is every place that sold the foot of Jesus has gone to. He's, God has given Jesus that land. Now, where do we come in as the body of Christ? When, where do we come in as the people of God? Verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I love these. I love how God empowers leaders. God is just empowering leaders. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. I would rather build, personally, I was thinking about this the last few weeks, I would rather build a group of disciples that God will raise up later to change the world instead of building a mega church. Because uh, nothing's wrong with mega churches. God is using them in a mighty way. But I think that my desire and prayer is that we would see men and women raised up by God and get them plugged into their calling so that they can go into the world and preach the gospel and change the community, the neighborhood, and, and, and Houston and beyond. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous for you. Now, this is the point. You, Joshua, or you, Jesus, shall cause this people, the people of God, to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Now, follow me here. God is saying, God is speaking to Joshua. He's saying, Joshua, you're going to lead these people into the promised land, right? Every place that your soul, the foot, your foot treads is yours. And what are you going to do? You're going to cause these people to possess the land. Amen? Let's translate that to New Testament. Okay? And maybe we'll get to Hebrews 2 or Hebrews 4. Maybe not. This is what, this is what the Bible is saying to us. 
Jesus, God is speaking to Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to give you this land. And, these, and this land, you will cause your, this church, your family, God will cause these people to possess the land. Amen? Are you getting that? It's not on me that I need to go beat all the giants. Somebody may be asking you, how's your giant killing going on? I don't know how that's going, to be honest with you. It's probably not going so great. But I know Jesus beat the, beat the giants. I know that Jesus beat them. And so and this, is the whole, this, is the, this is the point I want to make this morning, is that in Joshua chapter 11, we, we fast forward a little bit into the book of Joshua, and we read this in Joshua 11, verse 23. It says that, Joshua took the whole land. The whole land, right? We, see, we read that in the, Greek, in the Greek Old Testament. It says, Jesus took the whole land. Amen? According to all that the Lord said to Moses, the law, which he, the law could not do. And Joshua, what did Joshua do? This is, a good, this is a good leadership tip right here. Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel. Amen? According to the divisions by their tribes. So what is God calling Jesus to do? Jesus goes, goes through, he, he fulfills the entire law. He fulfills the, he fulfills the entire law that no man could ever fulfill. So Jesus now is the is a legitimate law fulfiller and lawgiver. And then what does he do? Jesus reigns over the land, just like the Israelites rule over the promised land, and then gives us the land to rule. Jesus has conquered it. I just stand in the. I just stand where God has put me. Stay in your lane. I just. I love that phrase. I'm staying in my lane. This is the lane that God has given me. When you play basketball, I don't know if you ever played basketball. One of the big, one of the big lessons always: is stay in your lane. When you're playing basketball, don't try to play someone else's position. Stay in your own lane. Jesus has gone into the lane. He's conquered the giants. He's beaten the flesh. He's he's conquered sin. He's conquered death. And now he's, and what does Joshua do? Joshua, I love the way Joshua is such a humble guy. And we talked about Sunday night, his relationship with God. I'm going to wrap it up here with this. Is that Joshua walks with God. He's a very humble man. He leads the people into the promised land. And then what does he do? He says, I'm not going to make myself king here. I'm not going to make myself God. I'm not going to make myself the big honcho here. I'm actually going to just, I'm just going to give it all away to the people of God. Joshua, what about your legacy? What about, what are you going to tell your kids? What, where's your land, Joshua? Joshua is a servant. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus conquered sin. He beat the devil. He judged sin in the flesh. He, he uh, conquered principalities and powers in Ephesians chapter 1. And he's conquered the land and he's ruling over the land. And so what do you do? He divides the land up and he gives, he gives a portion to this family to that family, and he says, I want you to rule over this. And then Caleb, I love Caleb, he goes like this, he goes, just give me the mountains, give me the mountains, give me that mountain. And so Caleb rules over the mountains with the giants in the mountains. This was guerrilla warfare. It was like an Afghanistan situation. Isn't it awesome? I just want us to understand that it's not us trying to conquer the land, but it's already conquered. We, we reign with Christ in, in Romans chapter 5, in life through the gift of righteousness and the, and the gift of grace. And then number three, last thing, is what is our focus? Verse 7 of Joshua chapter 1. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Let's hit the pause button there for a second. Okay. Who is doing all the law that, that I commanded Moses to do? Who is doing that here? 
Joshua, Jesus. Jesus is completing the whole law. Sometimes you, when I read that first chapter, I'd be like, I'd be like, yes, 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 I can do that, and then keep the whole law. I'm like, oh no, how does that, how does that complete, how does that fit into the New Testament? Jesus completes the law. He fulfills the law, and it says here that do not turn from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. I love these words in verse eight. I just want to speed on ahead a little bit to verse 8. The book of this law shall not depart from your mouth. What's that? What is that word, the book? If you look at that in the Hebrew, the, the, the word book here actually means message. The message here. What's the message that God is speaking to? Is that Jesus, that Joshua is to complete. He is to, he is to follow the law. He is to complete it. And he is going to have good success. And therefore, I am to rest in Joshua. And this is the final point. And this is the point I want us to walk away with today. Is that F.B. Myers said it this way. He said, we are summoned as believers to give diligence to enter into that rest. That no man fail after the same example of disobedience. What does that mean? Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this. He says that Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews writes, he defines disobedience this way. Disobedience is when we do not intentionally enter into that rest that Jesus has already established for us. How many people, how many people that left Egypt entered into the promised land? How many? Is anybody that number? Two million left, is about two million left Egypt. How many people entered the promised land? Two. What? That's crazy. Two people. That's amazing, isn't it? Is that kind of like discipleship? Is that kind of like the remnant? Is that, is that crazy or what? An entire nation leaves Egypt. And they are on the road. They're just doing great. But many, many, many of their carcasses, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, are laying in the, in the, in the wilderness. Why? Because they tried, to bring, they tried to make it happen themselves. And that put them in a place of dire need. That put them in a place of just not having enough. And that just put them in a place where they just felt like that they needed to supply and they needed to do it themselves. And so they didn't enter in. This year, my wife and I were talking. You know how you have these husband-wife conversations or you, you're, you're talking to your friend or your dear friend and you're saying, I just said this to my wife. I said, this year, entering to 2019, I am going to rest in what Jesus has already done in spring, what Jesus has already done in Houston, what Jesus has already done in my neighborhood. I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to rest in what God has already done in my relationships. God has already completed the work. I don't need to, I don't need to catch up or make it or tie up any loose ends. I need to rest in what's already been finished. And when, as we enter the new year and rest, it's really up to God to take care of a lot of details that we, that we can't take care of. Just trust the Lord. Walk in trust. Can we walk in trust? We're not going to be a casualty in the wilderness. Our mind is not going to be wandering in some desert place because we, don't, we couldn't keep up. We couldn't do what we thought we needed to do. We couldn't achieve. And so we're standing in the rain and we're wanting something that's not God's will. Trust the Lord. I like this definition. Faith rest is an, exa- is an active participation with the, with the message and the promise of God. That's what faith rest is. Faith rest is when I'm participating. What's the book of the law? Translate that into New Testament, the message of the New Testament. What's the message of the New Testament? Rest. When I participate that, hey, are you considering what your future is with God's will? Just rest in the plan. 
God, you know, God's going to make it happen. His sovereignty is not weak. We can trust him. If I'm supposed to be in Timbuktu, I'm going to be there. Somehow, God's going to make it happen. If I'm supposed to be in another living in another house, God's going to make that happen. I can't make all that happen. Why? Because I don't even know what the best choice is. So we just need to rest in the moment with God, rest in him, trust in him, and just stop fretting. And, and if you look at your past, you're going to notice that God has never left you without a provision. And I know it's a little, a little awkward with all the kids here, but I just want to finish with this, is that this is the difference between a believer living in the wilderness in his mind or living in faith rest. I just want to say, let's just rest in the Lord. I don't mean passive-aggressive rest, like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to trust the Lord and just let it all burn. No, this is what Hudson Taylor said, and we mentioned this Sunday night, I'll mention it again. Bear not a single care thyself. This is what Hudson Taylor said, the great missionary to China. Went to China when it was just impossible at that time. And he wrote these words, Bear not a single care thyself. One is too much for thee. The work is mine and mine alone. Thy work is rest in me. Amen? But wait a minute, I want something to do. Like, I want to walk out of this church like, okay, step one, step two. All right, there's, in the kingdom of God, there's only one box to check, and that is rest in the Lord. And that's the answer. Bear not a single care of thyself. One is too much for thee. The work is mine and mine alone. Thy work is to rest in me. Hudson Taylor, Lord, that's how we want to look at this new year before us, God. Lord, we want to commit all of our cares to you, all of our visions, all of our dreams. You know more than us what we need. You need, you know if we need a husband or a wife. You know, Lord, what we need. And God, before we even needed it, even before we prayed, you prepared an answer for us. We thank you, God, that we can rest in you, Lord. We thank you, God, that the work of God is not just in one month or two months. It takes a few years. Lord, we look at this church. Lord, we look at what what you're doing. And Lord, we just know that this is a five-year work. This This is not something that happens overnight. We thank you, God, that church planting is a work of God. It's, it's when Jesus, our Joshua, walked into uh, the, the promised land and conquered it himself through his blood and his body. And he rules today. and He gives us that rulership. I just want to leave us with a practical challenge. Are you struggling? Are you freaking out? Are you worried? Are you stressing about things? Are you worried about how something is going to come to pass? And I just say, and I'm speaking to myself too, just stop. Stop doing that. And just say, Lord, you know it. Lord, you put these desires in my heart, and you're going to, make them, you're going to bring them to pass. Sometimes God puts things in our heart, and he just wants to see if we're going to try to make it happen ourselves, or if we're going to wait. That's what God did with Elijah. And he said, do you see these bones in this valley? And Elijah's response was, Lord, thou knowest if they can live. Thank you, God, that we don't need to take into our own hands uh, the, the battle, because the battle is the Lord's. As it says in the book of Ezekiel, Exodus, stand still and see the salvation. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Father, we thank you, and we thank you so much, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' precious name.